You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to America's Web Radio and the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. I'm one of the new hosts filling in for Dr. Mike. Happy to be be here with you guys today. Um, I've been thinking a lot about my show today. And one of the things we're going to talk about is we're going to compare and contrast socialized medicine with free market medicine. And I want to talk about the role of what we refer to collectively as big medicine in our healthcare debate today. Big medicine includes insurance companies, big pharma, insurance companies, um, and the hospital systems. And people should understand that the players in big medicine are in it to make money. The debate coming up now about our health care system has gotten very in- intense, and I wanted to make sure that everybody really had a grasp and understanding of what is involved in health care today so that when we go to the polls in the coming months, people can make informed decisions uh, regarding the candidates that they choose and the type of health care that they want. At the end of the day, what we are all looking for in our health care is access to health care, quality of our health care, cost in our health care, and we want our health care to be innovative. And the debate is on the best way of achieving those goals. Now, typically, the two sides of the coin are what we call socialized medicine or a centralized government control, top-down, one-size-fits-all program versus free market medicine. I have been practicing medicine for almost 30 years as a medical student, as a resident, and as a practicing physician. I've built my own orthopedic practice, and I currently have several clinics in the Atlanta area with a surgery center. And I've been involved in this endeavor for a long time, and I've made some observations along the way that have made me an ardent advocate for free market medicine. And the reason I am is because government-run medicine is abject failure. When I was in medical school, Uh, Most medical schools are associated with veterans' administrations. I know we talked about this the last time I hosted. There are about 150 medical schools across the country, and there are about 150 VAs, uh, veterans' administration hospitals. The veterans' administration hospitals are typically associated with the medical schools, and they take advantage of the medical schools to provide medical services. It's a good symbiotic relationship. The medical students and the residents have an opportunity to practice their craft and to learn. And veterans are able to achieve and have access to health care that they otherwise wouldn't. Unfortunately, however, the VA is run like a government entity. It is a top-down, centralized control mechanism that is not nimble it is not it does not have the ability to address individual problems and the one size fits all in medicine paradigm 
simply doesn't work. When we want to talk about our healthcare system, I always like to think about the great Milton Friedman economist who talked about the four ways to spend money. And it's really important for all of us to understand these four ways to spend money when we're trying to figure out which sort of healthcare plan we want to pursue. Milton Friedman said, you can spend your money on yourself. In that situation, cost matters and quality matters. It's your health care. It's your money. And so both of them obviously matter quite a bit. And as a consumer, you're going to seek to obtain the best quality at the lowest price. The second way to spend money is for you to spend your money on other people. In that situation, cost still matters. It's your money. But the quality doesn't matter as much. The product and the service is going to somebody else. And so the individual typically doesn't care that much about the quality. The third way to spend your money is to spend other people's money on yourself. In that situation, cost is completely irrelevant, but the quality does matter. And the final way to spend money, which is the way government spends money when it controls health care, is to spend other people's money on other people. And in that situation, the cost doesn't matter and the quality doesn't matter. And over time, what you end up with is products and services that are incredibly expensive and have incredibly poor quality. Now, when I was growing up, I played sports. Um, I was involved in a lot of different activities. And one of the things my father taught me was in order to implement a plan, you have to test it out first. So you can be sitting in the clubhouse on a football team and you can come up with a play that looks absolutely brilliant on the chalkboard. When you run it on the chalkboard, you score a touchdown every time. But when you put that play into practice, what you find out is some players are a little slower than other players. Maybe the other team has somebody who's incredibly strong and fast and causes the play not to work. And so when you do that, you have to make an adjustment. This is sort of how I came to understand healthcare. When I first started in medical school back in 1992, I had no real perspective on even the concept of government-run healthcare versus free market healthcare. I was simply an observer. I was learning. I was studying. I was practicing. And what I noticed was every time I saw government-run healthcare in play, I saw horrible quality, maximum cost, and miserable bureaucracy that made it impossible to deliver decent care. And any time I saw free market medicine, I saw the lowest possible costs with the highest possible quality and the, the most number of choices. Now, I wasn't able to organize my thoughts early on. I just sort of was internalizing all of this stuff. And over the years, I've learned a lot more about business. I've learned more about politics and our history and medicine, and I've been able to put it all together, and that's where my passion to come and join America's Web Radio and the Doctor's Lounge came, so that I can allow you people to have uh, some insight into what I've seen so that we can make informed decisions and move away from this one-size-fits-all government-run healthcare, which is a complete disaster anywhere it's been tried. I remember when I was 
about eight years old. I was probably in third grade. We lived in a townhouse in Newport, Rhode Island. My father was at the Naval Academy. Well, he's at the War College, actually. And um, we had this townhouse that overlooked the Chesapeake Bay. And the townhouse had three stories to it. And I thought to myself, it would be really great to parachute from the third story down down to the ground. The the uh, the yard sort of came up at a really acute slope, and so uh, it looked really really fun. So I went and I got a sheet. I tied the four corners together, attached it to myself, and I jumped off that third story. And guess what I found out? The sheet didn't really work as a parachute. I fell right to the ground, and thank God there was this acute angle. I didn't kill myself, but I did learn the hard lesson that this plan that looked amazing in my head actually didn't work out so well when I put it into practice. This is not too dissimilar from socialized medicine. We talked about last week my experiences at the Veterans Administration Hospital. I remember my first day on call as a resident. I was an intern, actually. So I'm just out of medical school, and I have a whole lot of book knowledge, but I have absolutely no practical knowledge. Well, not none. We, we do some of the stuff on the floors in medical school, but certainly I was at the beginning. I didn't know how to run a code. I didn't know exactly how to read an EKG yet. And what I discovered on that first day as I was spending the night in the hospital on call was that I was what was known as the surgeon of the day, meaning it was my job to take care of all of the surgical patients in the hospital, which, if you're a doctor, you realize is absolutely ridiculous. I had nowhere near the knowledge or practical experience to be able to run this, but this is how the bureaucracy works. The top-down, one-size-fits-all, government-run system decided that Having a doctor in the hospital would solve a problem, so they picked the lowest educated, the lowest experienced person and said to themselves, there, there's a doctor, without any practical understanding of the fact that when a code actually happened, I didn't know what medicines to give, and I didn't really know how to interpret the information. I talked about the first time I was on call that night, somebody actually did code, and when, when somebody codes, what we mean is they either stop breathing or their heart starts stops functioning. Uh, and typically, in a normal hospital or a free market hospital, you have a trained team of physicians and nurses and techs that come in, assess the patients, start IVs, provide oxygen, and we run in a in a um, standardized way of resuscitating a patient, and this involves gathering information about respiratory rate, heart rate, oxygen levels, and things like that, and we give medicines and oxygen, and we apply compressions to the heart, and we implement a procedure that is designed to save the patient. Well, needless to say, when I had this first patient code, I was trying to do all of that stuff, but I didn't know how to read the EKG machine. I didn't know where all the medicines were located. I didn't exactly know how to interpret the plethora of information that was coming to me, and I was scared. Now, fortunately for this particular patient, they woke up and they survived. Nothing to do with me. Uh, it was God's grace. But I learned a great lesson that day, that when bureaucrats are making decisions about something as important as our healthcare system, they don't typically make very good decisions and they don't make very informed decisions. Now, when we were talking about 
what we're all looking for in health care, we have to keep in mind that the things that we're most concerned about are access to health care, quality of our health care, cost of our health care, and the innovation. We want our health care to improve and we want to develop better ways. And when you look at a socialized medicine system, you find that access is extremely limited. The, the system allocates resources in a very inefficient way because the people who are allocating the resources do not understand the business of medicine. They don't know what's important and what's not important. And rather than trying to solve problems based on medicine and an understanding of treating patients, they simply try to hire an administrator who's not familiar with medicine and they allocate money and ask him to solve the problem. And the decisions that they make are, let's have the intern be the surgeon of the day and be responsible for all the patients overnight. And what you find is absolute failure, the inability to deliver care, but you spend your money. The, the, the free market always knows. And I always remember reading The Road to Serfdom by Friedrich Hayek, who talked about the government having the inability to manage the infinite number of wants, needs, and desires of individuals. But individuals, given the power to manage those things, can do wondrous things, and that the market always knows exactly what we want, exactly how much we want, and it gives us the most choices. Now, we're going to get into this in a little bit. As we go to break, I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, America's Web Radio and a Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to America's Web Radio. And uh, I wanted to take just a second to tell everyone that um, Dr. Barber is my doctor, as a matter of fact. Uh, we had a, I had a rare incident uh, a month ago today, as a matter of fact, as uh, I was twisting to open the door for Scott and uh, uh, my old worn out body uh, happened to hit me right in the knee with a uh, an old worn out menisca and uh, 
I was lucky that uh, Dr. Barber was here, and his his office, and they call it the Barber Way, and it is fantastic. I have never been in a doctor's office, and I, I've, uh, as an EMT, I was in many doctor's offices and different situations, but I have never, ever been in such a wonderful office as Dr. Barber has. And if you're needing anything from shoulder to elbow to wrist to up and down and sideways, orthopedics, please listen to me. Call Dr. Scott Barber's office and get an appointment. It uh, You will be amazed at the people that are there and also the service that you get. And meeting Dr. Barber will be one of the best experiences you've ever had. And uh, I appreciate Scott and what he's doing at the station now. And I recommend him highly and don't mind saying he he is taking over Atlanta in the orthopedics field and I've since I've gone to Scott I've talked to a couple of other doctors that highly recommend him and uh, we even had a um, a uh, uh, chiropractor in the other day that said that he had worked with you in the past uh, and you all have he had recommended you and you had recommended him at some point so anyway uh, if you need orthopedics call Dr. Scott Call Barber Orthopedics, and what's the full name, Scott? It's Barber Orthopedics and Spine. And Spine. Okay, well, we got it covered. And now back to Dr. Scott. Well, you're very kind, David. I appreciate you saying that. And my practice is really emblematic of what free market healthcare is. My allegiance is to my patients. I'm not an employed physician. Uh, obviously, my name is on on the practice, so. Anything that happens there matters to me, uh, big or small. And these are important things. You know, we see a lot of people trying to advocate for socialized medicine, and they'll make these statements that the United States is the only industrialized country that doesn't offer guaranteed health care to its patients. And that's just a flat-out lie. The concept of having... A healthcare policy or an insurance card in your pocket is not the same thing as care. Listen, when you go to the Veterans Administration, you have limited access to doctors. The doctors that are there typically are not the most well-trained. They're not, they're not the most experienced. They're not the people who have put time and experience into their craft and risen to the top as being the best. I mean, no doctor aspires to work at the VA. It's the most miserable bureaucracy. It's difficult to do anything. It's incredibly inefficient on a level that's incomprehensible at any other place. And most doctors will tell you that their experiences at the VA are unbelievable. The reason that I use the VA is because it is the number one example of government-run health care in this country. And people might say to themselves, well, you know, the VA is not going to be like what we have with Medicare for all in this country. No, you're absolutely right. The VA will be 10 times better than what Medicare for all is going to be because the VA only takes care of a small number of people, relatively speaking, not 330 million people that populate this country. And we know that if we try and implement a Medicare for all, there's going to be a rationing system that is so draconian that people will regret it. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help people understand that this idea of government providing you free health care is a lie. 
it just doesn't happen. And how do I know this? 30 years in, I've been watching it my whole life. I've been, I've seen it trying to be implemented and I've seen it fail. It fails every place that it's been tried. We've used this example. The government of Finland recently collapsed in large part due to their um, commitment to to socialize government-run health care. The Canadian health care system, where it's illegal to contract out of the government system for your health care, we see 60,000 people a year leave Canada to try and get health care elsewhere. Uh, a lot of them will come to the United States to try and get their care. At the height of the debates over the Affordable Care Act, which we all know is the Unaffordable Care Act, the premier of Newfoundland, Newfoundland needed a heart procedure, and he came to the University of Miami to get this procedure done. And this person was a big advocate for socialized medicine, and when he was confronted about it, he, he said, well, it's my health care. I can do what I want. And this is so typical of the people who advocate for socialized medicine. They get to choose the health care they want. They get to have access to the quality health care that they desire. But us little people, we have to go into this socialized system that doesn't offer care. And the way that they do it is simply by rationing. And it's done a number of ways. And let me just give you some examples. When I was at the VA in my residency, I obviously I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so I was an orthopedic resident, and part of my duties included covering the VA. So I would be at the major hospital there, Jackson Memorial Hospital, the busiest trauma center in the world, and I'd be doing my normal work duties, and I would get a consult from an emergency room physician over at the VA hospital, which was across the street. And it would commonly be something like, I got a patient with a shoulder dislocation. Okay, so I need to come over and see this patient. I would be busy doing something. Maybe I was in the middle of a trauma and I was splinting legs that were broken and assessing people and doing all of the work that I had to do in that day. And as soon as I got a free moment, I would run across the street, go to the VA, and I would look at the x-ray of this patient and I'd go, this shoulder's not dislocated. And I'd go up to the ER physician and I'd say, this shoulder's not dislocated. They'd look at me and go, okay, thanks. Sometimes this might have been three, four, five hours later after the patient's sitting there. Why is this happening? Because the person running the emergency room is a physician that is not trained well enough to understand what a located shoulder and a dislocated shoulder looks like. And so in order to get backup, they consult the orthopedic surgeon who's busy doing other things. And that involves a three, four, five-hour wait, depending on what I'm doing. And as a result, that patient is sitting in the emergency room, twiddling their thumbs, waiting to receive care. And you can see how this is not the most efficient way to run an emergency room. And you might ask, why does this not happen in other hospitals, in, in government or in uh, free market-type hospitals? And the reason is, is because the market pays the necessary people to provide the services that are desired and that are needed and that are required to implement proper health care. And so when you go to your, your neighborhood hospital, there's a radiologist who's there to read that x-ray for the emergency room doctor. Also, you, you're paying trained emergency room doctors who know how to read, read x-rays and you get more efficient care. The, the government bureaucracy 
does not accommodate the individual. And this is something that's worth talking about. When we think about healthcare debate, this socialized medicine versus free market medicine, this debate has been going on since the time of Hippocrates and Plato, thousands and thousands of years. And Plato believed that healthcare should be administered from the perspective of the state. It was about delivering care that benefited the state and not necessarily the individual. So patients that had difficult problems that were costly and, uh, you know, caused problems for the state by having people with disabilities, you know, around their society, they didn't want to allocate resources towards that person. Now, Hippocrates talked about the individual, and that's the model that the United States has been predicated on since the beginning. That's why we have the Hippocratic Oath. We don't have the Platonian Oath. We have the Hippocratic Oath, which says, first, I will do no harm, and the fidelity of a doctor is to the patient. And with the injection of government control that we have had in this society for a very long time, really since World War II, uh, the government has been gaining more and more control of our healthcare system through Medicare. They, they knew they couldn't get the whole system, so they started off by taking care of the old, and then they did Medicaid to take care of the poor, and, um, S-chip to take care of the very young, and then the VA controls the veterans, and they're, they're really slowly gathering their control over our health care system. And then with the passing of the Affordable Care Act, their hope was that they had complete total domination of uh, the health care system with complete government control. And with that control comes power for the politicians and money for the big medicine players that are helping the politicians maintain that, mo- that power. And that's the situation we're at now. Our health care right now is far too expensive. Our quality is still there because we have enough penetration of free market-minded physicians that are still able to deliver quality care, but it's getting more and more difficult. And I would just say that that the services that I'm able to provide, I could never accomplish today. I got out at a time when there was just a little bit more freedom. Uh, in many ways, I was so ignorant of the healthcare system that I didn't even know what I was up against. And so I started my, you know, I started my free market practice, my desire to build a Barbara Orthopedics. I didn't know it was going to be called that, but I wanted to build this free market healthcare system where I could develop a doctor-patient relationship and help people for a living. And this was my passion. I had no idea the obstacles I would run against up against uh, until many years later when I look back in the rearview mirror and I realize, oh my gosh, how did I even get through there? And I'm sure that the big medicine entities are looking at me and going, yeah, how did he get through? And they're probably trying to figure out a way to get me out of there because rogue doctors who are who have a fidelity to the patient create problems with cost. They expose the patient to opportunities that will cost hospital systems, insurance companies, and pharmaceutical companies money, and they don't want that. They want to be the ones that are making these decisions and allocating the resources, and as soon as they gain total control of the system, we're going to see exactly what we've seen so far. With Obamacare, we've seen 
insurance premiums go up 123% for individual plans and 175% for family plans. We see deductibles now that are $5,000 or $10,000 premiums. I spend $30,000 a year for my family before I even access the system on an Obamacare plan. And it's the only plan that's available to me. What we want to see is free market medicine where doctors and patients are in charge of their own health care decision-making. Now, when we talk about the VA, I also used to talk about the fact that it was incredibly inefficient. Now, today, after I do this radio show, I probably have about eight or ten surgeries that I'm going to do later on today. When I was working at the VA, we used to do the morning case and the afternoon case. We're going to explore this a little bit more when we come back from this break. I appreciate everybody being here on America's Web Radio. We're going to continue discussing socialized medicine versus free market medicine and the role of big medicine on the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. And I just wanted to interject one thing. As uh, Dr. Barber well knows, uh, this station is dedicated to advocacy. And part of the advocacy is uh, for our veterans. And we have been – we're being misled that – Things And they are getting better at the VA, but there's still a long, long ways to go. And uh, I'm literally pleading with you, if you're a veteran or you have a family member that is a veteran, or if you're just an interested person, and I hope you are an interested person, stand up, write your congressman, or call your congressman, or email your congressman, whatever way you can touch your senator or representative, touch them and say, look, we owe it to our heroes that have served the country in any capacity, be they veterans, be they first responders or whatever, but contact your representatives. That's what we hired them for when we voted for them. And that's what they should be doing, not worrying about the next election. Please write your congressman, contact your congressman, and ask them to fix 
the VA. And now back to the Doctor's Lounge and my doctor, Dr. Scott Barber. Everybody, welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. My last name is B-A-R-B-O-U-R. You can find me at on Twitter at Dr. Scott underscore Atlanta. That's D-R-S-E-O-T-T underscore Atlanta. My practice is Barber Orthopedics and Spine, and you can find me online at www.barberortho.com. Today we're talking about the comparing and contrasting socialized medicine and free market medicine. We're talking about the role of big medicine. And over the coming weeks and months, I want to help educate everybody and give everybody an understanding of what is happening in healthcare systems so that you're not seduced by this lie that you're going to be provided free healthcare with Medicare for all. Nothing in life is free. Medicine certainly isn't free. And what these government bureaucrats and politicians are trying to do is create a government-run system where they can tax the money away from you. They're going to get it from you. And that's the dirty little secret that they leave out of these small Scandinavian-type countries where they, they try to argue that their health care is so great. They confiscate the money from the people in the form of taxes, and then they give them back a product that is highly inaccessible, has relatively poor innovation and, and poor choice, and we don't want to see that happen in this country. We recently learned that the government of Finland, which is a very small country, compared to the United States, collapsed as a result of their obligations to their government-run health care. If we were to try and implement a government-run system in this country, a Medicare for all, it would be so much more draconian. The rationing would be so severe, people would brew the day. And I'm hoping that I can sound the alarm and educate people to the point where they will shun any idea of government-run health care. Now, in the end, people have legitimate concerns about cost, quality, access, and innovation of their health care. And oftentimes their argument will be, what about the children? What about poor people? And I always say to them, what about the children and what about poor people? Socialized medicine does nothing to take care of poor people or children or anybody else for that matter. It simply makes the health care access cost, availability, options limited for everyone. What free markets do is it creates competition. Competition controls price. If we had a completely competitive healthcare system, we would have the best possible healthcare at the lowest price, and then the fewest number of people, the vulnerable people in this country, would be left over, and as a society, we can come up with a number of different programs to treat them. I'm here to tell you that I feel like I'm a pretty typical person, meaning my, my mother and father, they taught me to be a good person. They taught me to treat others well. Uh, I feel like they inst- instilled good values in me. Uh, I am by no means a perfect person. I'm a sinner like everybody else out there. But I want to do the right thing. And when my father talked to me when I was in high school about what I wanted to be when I grew up, he, he told me that there are so many things to consider. How much money do you want to make was on there? How much vacation time do you want? Do you want to work indoors? Do you want to work outdoors? Do you want to work with your hands? Do you want to work with your mind? Do you want to sit at a desk? All of these things. 
And I thought to myself, wow, that's a lot of stuff. But the very first thing that popped into my head was, and I was probably in about ninth or 10th grade, the very first thing I thought to myself was, I want nothing to do with the government. My father was a military officer, and even at that young age, I could see the bureaucracy and the inefficiency and how difficult it was for us to go buy groceries, for me to get my health care when I had to go to the doctor, uh, sort of the things that my father had to deal with as a naval officer. And that was the very first thing I said to myself. I do not want any part of the, the government. I also wanted to make enough money to be able to pay my bills. I wasn't necessarily thinking about being rich or anything like that. I, I just wanted some job security, and I wanted to do something that I had passion for. And my mother was a nurse, and she had exposed me to the the honor and the the fulfilling nature of being a healthcare provider. And that was sort of what opened my eyes to that. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I can become a doctor. I'll be able to spend a lifetime helping people. I should be able to make a decent living. I should have some job security. And it turned out that way. But in that calculation, I also had to tell myself, I'm looking at four or five years of college. I'm looking at four years of medical school. I'm looking at five years of residency, a year of fellowship, just to get to the starting line. At that point, once I had all that education, now I had to go out into the world and build a practice. And listen, I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me. I've been incredibly blessed, and I feel so fortunate to get to do this every single day. But what I'm saying is that becoming a doctor is not that easy. And so people are going to make judgments about whether or not they want to become a doctor based on a lot of different things. And this idea of being a government bureaucrat is not going to entice very many people to want to become physicians. And the way the government solves that problem is it replaces doctors with lesser trained people. And we see it all the time, right? The rise of physician's assistants and nurse practitioners. And listen, I love me some physician assistants. I love my nurse practitioners. Many of them do amazing jobs, but they're not doctors. We need to promote doctors. We need to promote health care in a way that works. Now, I'm a free marketeer to the core, and I don't want to have any rules or regulations implemented by the government about who has to see what, whether it's a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant or a doctor. I want individuals to be able to make those decisions. But you have to understand that becoming a doctor takes a lot of training and a lot of time and a lot of experience. And I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. First of all, when socialized medicine advocates talk about healthcare, they always use the general term healthcare as if healthcare in their system means the same thing as healthcare in a private system. When you come into Barber Orthopedics, we offer everything there is under the sun, platelet-rich plasma injections, every kind of surgery. We do spinal injections. We do certain kind of procedures that are not offered by insurance plans, platelet-rich plasma, which is a procedure where we draw somebody's blood, we spin the blood down in a centrifuge, we take that serum and inject it into an injured area, and it's useful to treat a lot of things. People might remember when Kobe Bryant, the famous basketball player who sadly recently passed away, he went to Italy to get this procedure because it wasn't offered in this country. These types of innovations happen in the free market. When you go to the government-run program, they give you the basic stuff. You wait in line. You see the doctor. That doctor gives you, renders a uh, 
a, a diagnosis, gives you a treatment plan, and whether you like it or not, that's it. If you don't like it, you can get back in line again. And in many cases, in Canada and other places, you're not going to get back in line again. You're going to be able to wait in line for the treatment that they recommend to you, even if it's not what you want. And believe me, in healthcare, sometimes there are a lot of different options, and it just depends on the patient's desires, wants, needs, personality, and, and the doctor. Doctors and patients have got to maintain control of their decision making. And let me just give you an example. Wound care. Wound care is something that the government doesn't really value, but wound care is very important. When I was at the University of Miami, we took care of patients of every type you could imagine. I saw patients that were attacked by barracudas and sharks. I saw people that had boating accidents. There were people that were hit by cars. There were motor motorcycle accidents. There was gun violence. There was everything you could imagine, and I literally saw anything that could happen to the human body, somebody going through a wood chipper. I saw it all. And as a result, I spent years and, you know, 24 hours a day, four years, taking care of wounds, understanding wounds, knowing wounds, learning what worked and what didn't work. Then as I got into private practice, insurance companies did not reimburse physicians for that care. And so physicians were not incentivized to do that care, and they soon became replaced by wound care clinics that were staffed by nurses and other people that had much less experience and understanding of wounds. I recently had a patient that came to my office. Uh, She had an injury to her leg, and she had this sort of pussy, festering wound on the front of her leg. And I went in to discuss with her, and I said, what happened? And she described her injury to me, and she said it happened in June. And I was like, okay, so you had this wound in June a couple months ago? And she goes, no, no, June of last year. And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, I got this injury over a year ago. This wound has been festering. And I go, well, how are you treating it? And she goes, well, I've been going to the wound clinic. I'm like, you've been going to the wound clinic for more than a year, and they haven't got this wound healed? And I'm looking at it. And on the scale of wounds that I've seen, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was probably about a 2 or 3. Not the worst thing I've ever seen. And I was stunned. How is this wound not healed after an entire year? I looked at the bag of products that she had. She had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of wound care products sold by big medicine, paid for by government insurance that did not heal her wound. I took all of the medicines and I put them in a bag and I gave this to her and I said, listen, I don't want you to use any of this stuff. I want you to keep this by your bedside. We're going to just do soap and water and what we call a wet to dry dressing. I showed her how to do it. Three weeks later, that wound was healed with soap and water and gauze. This is how the government works. They replace people who are experienced with people who are not as well experienced, and they throw money at problems without solving problems. And this is something that we don't need to do. Listen, in my practice... I started using platelet-rich plasma probably 10 or 15 years ago. Now, this is something that was uh, contemplated and, and innovated by other people. It became a part of sports medicine, and I'm a trained sports medicine doctor. And so I studied the science, and it was it's, it's a difficult thing to study. You know, things are, are not always... Uh, ironclad when we study them. You know, that's why they call it the art of medicine. Uh, But I started using it on patients that 
had difficult problems that were not resolving any other way. And I started to learn through the practice of medicine that was it was incredi- incredibly effective. And we're going to explore that a little bit more when we come back from break. You're listening to America's Web Radio and the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, this is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour on America's Web Radio. If you'd like to hear an eclectic mix of great programs from relationships with Dr. Ann Schiebert to homegrown veggies and from classic cars to the Constitution, we've got programs for discerning listeners at www.americaswebradio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Doctor's Lounge. And I want to say one more thing about Dr. Scott Barber. He is my doctor, and he his practice is just incredible. And uh, once you walk into his office, there is just this air of positive approach to everything and it's called the barber way and even um ed uh dr scott's driver uh, that uh, was kind enough to pick me up when i couldn't drive and uh he brought me back to the office and i said god i've never been in an office like this and he says well it's called the barber way and you can tell when you walk into scott's office into his from the lobby to the examining room, everybody there, you are the most important person there. You are a patient of Dr. Scott Barber, and that's the Barber way. And you know that you're going to get good care, and they give you incredible care. So if you're in need or you've got a friend or a neighbor or anybody else that uh, is in need of an orthopedist, have them call the Barber Orthopedic Clinic, Spine Clinic, and uh, you'll be glad you did. Thanks, David. You're very, very kind. Uh, I would just say I'm very proud of Barber Orthopedics. It's been a labor of love. It's been my passion. I'm very proud of my team. We, we have, I don't even know how many employees now, probably 120 employees and growing just to clarify, I would be remiss if I didn't say Ed is not my driver. He's my VP of business development and operations, and he was kind enough to come and help me get David to my clinic when he hurt his knee. Uh, I just 
We've been spending time here on America's Web Radio in the Doctor's Lounge. Again, I'm Dr. Scott Barber. My last name is B-A-R-B-O-U-R, and my practice is Barber Orthopedics and Spine. You can find us online at barberortho.com. That's B-A-R-B-O-U-R. You can find me on Twitter at at Dr. Scott underscore Atlanta. That's at D-R-S-C-O-T-T underscore Atlanta. We've been talking about comparing and contrasting socialized medicine and free market medicine, and I've been in healthcare for almost 30 years now, and my observations have convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, to, to in abject certainty. Free market medicine is the way to go. It's the way to take care of our seniors. It's the way to take care of people with pre-existing condition. It's our way to take care of children and the poor and the vulnerable. Socialized medicine, the VA, government-run health care, a one-size-fits-all, top-down, government-run health care system that is run by death panels. And I'm sorry people feel that that's somewhat inflammatory. That's exactly what they are. The Affordable Care Act was has a 15-panel unelected member uh, of people that are not even medical doctors that decide to make the decisions in healthcare, and we don't want to do that. So I was talking about my experience in my journey in my free market system, uh, and I was talking about platelet-rich plasma injections. I started using those injections years ago, and I remember I had one particular patient that had a chronic Achilles tendonitis. They had had surgery at an outside clinic. They had had ad nauseum physical therapy. They had steroid injections and the whole gamut. Nothing solved this person's problem. They were very depressed, and they came to my office, and they uh, they were upset, and I, I would be I would. I want to say this properly. They were very, very upset and difficult to deal with. Uh, And I've had many patients like that, and I pride myself on really trying to listen to people and take care of them. I went in, and I said, you know what? They have this new procedure come out called platelet-rich plasma. It's essentially your own blood. It's very safe, and it's it's possibly effective. Now, at the time, insurance didn't cover it, and we talked about it. He said, does insurance cover it? And I said, no, insurance doesn't cover it, but I have a doctor-patient relationship with you, and I want to take care of you. And so I gave him the platelet-rich plasma injection. I didn't charge him. And guess what? His Achilles tendonitis got better, and the guy was ecstatic. Now, you might say, well, that's just me. I'm a nice guy and all that. I'm not a particularly nice guy in that sense. I would say I'm a typical doctor. Listen, most people become doctors because they love taking care of people and they want to help people, and that's what the market does. The free market always knows exactly what you want, how much of what you want. It gives you the most options at the lowest price. And people need to understand that we have not really had a full free market of healthcare in this country since World War II. We've had incredible government penetration and control of our healthcare. And if we could simply relieve that pressure and allow the markets to expand, we would see the the quality and access and and availability of our healthcare expand dramatically. We'd have the fewest number of vulnerable people, people with pre-existing conditions, the poor and whatnot, and we have a number of ways that we could take care of those people. The um, I do a procedure called hip arthroscopy, and uh, this was not not 
really developed when I finished my training in, in 2000, 2001. Uh, I started noticing patients with hip problems in my clinic, and there was no other way to solve these problems. I couldn't find anything on MRI or X-ray, and I started talking to my friends in the area, and that we, we developed this procedure called hip arthroscopy, which is where we make small stab incisions on the side of the hip, and we stick a little camera in there, and we can stick tools in there. And at the time, that I started doing this. I had never scoped a hip. I had scoped many other joints, and I was an experienced arthroscopist, but I'd never done a hip, and it took a lot of time reading. Uh, I flew up to Pittsburgh to go visit a friend of mine for a couple of days on my own dime to sort of learn how to do this. I would say I needed courage to do it. I was afraid of potential complications in the unknown. Obviously, whenever you're operating on somebody, I don't like to to face any unknowns. I want to have experience with what I'm doing. And over the last 20 years, we've developed hip arthroscopy so that now it's a very standard procedure and I take care of, you know, thousands of people with this issue. That all came about from the free market. If I was starting my practice today, I would not be allowed to even develop this because I would try to get a patient into the hospital. I would try to post them for this surgery, and the bureaucracy would say, well, what's the diagnosis code? What's the problem? And I'd I'd be saying, well, I don't know what it is, and they wouldn't allow me to do the procedure. This is the inside baseball stuff that people don't realize when they talk about socialized medicine versus free market medicine. And whenever you hear these advocates talking about socialized medicine and we're the only industrialized country that doesn't guarantee health care to every single citizen, it's ridiculous. You need to understand that people who are advocates of socialized medicine, government-run health care is not this virtuous entity that has only the, the benefit of the individual at heart. They do not. We talked about last time I was on, Yale economist Zach Cooper, he analyzed how members of Congress voted for a Medicare provision that allowed hospital systems to apply for an increase in government payments for their services. And what Zach Cooper, this Yale economist, discovered was that hospitals and districts of members who voted yes received more money than hospitals whose representatives voted no. Uh, This was to the tune of $100 million, and that money was used by these hospital systems to increase their staff, increase their payroll, and they spent millions of dollars lobbying these congressmen to extend these programs. And do you think that congressmen and women located in California would would refuse massive hospital systems with this kind of uh, lobbying power and this kind of ability to control um, control um, the the distribution of government money they can't and what we saw was that congressmen who voted yes received an increase in total campaign contributions twenty five percent and sixty five percent increase from individuals who were working in those health care systems. The point that I'm trying to make here is that government is not this virtuous entity that's not in it for the money. They are in it for the money and for the power. What we want to do is create a free market system that allows people to compete, trying to earn a living, trying to grow their business. And you might say, well, what keeps the the doctor 
from running away with prices. Well, competition does. When I start out with PRP and I'm the only game in town, I charge a higher price. And then when other competitors come into the marketplace, they will undercut me with a lower price. So then I have to do things to try and cut my costs so that I can sell it for a lower price. And what happens is this competition stimulates innovation to decrease cost and increase quality and that's how a free market works and if we could just unleash this in our healthcare system we would see our healthcare improve dramatically um when I was in medical school, I remember my first year, we were sitting in a class and one of the professors was talking about the difference between medicine and a typical business. And they made the argument that in medicine, we have patients and we administer patient care. We don't have customers. And I remember looking at one of my friends and kind of saying, huh, is that that's uh, sort of a, a, I don't know how else to put it, a snobbish way of thinking that somehow the relationship that a doctor has with a patient is is more virtuous than, than a business owner would have with a client. Well, I can tell you after 30 years in healthcare, I would much rather be treated like a client than a patient than any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Treating customers and customer service is very difficult. And with a group, with a, uh, a practice that has the name Barber Orthopedics, it doesn't take much for people to get upset, go outside, get on their phones, and immediately go to websites and start posting negative things about you. And it takes a lot of effort, innovation, and trying to keep people happy and to make sure that you deliver the best possible health care. And I need to pay a lot of staff. As I said, my, my group is growing, and I, in order to, to be able to pay them, I have to increase my profit margin so that I can pay these people, and that comes through customer service, growing my business, and earning care. We're at a critical point in this country. The concept of the government developing a health care system, something as intricate as the health care system, is absolutely impossible. What we need to do is alleviate regulation and allow individuals, doctors, and patients to make their own health care decisions. And we see in many states right now direct primary care where concierge medicine is delivering top-level care where patients have access to their doctors at all times uh, and costs are dramatically decreased. We need to implement this into specialty care. And when I come back next time, we're going to talk about what some of the solutions are for our free market health care system and how to develop a a healthcare system in this country that is high quality, accessible, low cost, and that promotes innovation. I want to thank everybody for joining me on America's Web Radio today. My name is Dr. Scott Barber. This is the Doctor's Lounge, and I will see you all next week. Scott, I never argue with a host or my doctor, but I have to disagree with you. You said you weren't a nice guy. You are not just a nice guy. You're a wonderful man and a good Christian man, and we appreciate you and look forward to next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.